The bards must drink and junk it. Hello, friends and strangers, and thank you for listening to Tomorrow, Tomorrow We, we Die. Die, a show about the trials and adventures that happen while touring as a working musician, told to you by people who have built their lives or portions of their lives around writing and playing the music that they love. We are your hosts. I'm John Wisniewski. And I'm Jeffrey McNulty. And every episode, we will bring you an interview with people who are out there day-to-day or were out there day-to-day grinding against the many odds, (laughs) only to pass out from exhaustion and have to finish the tour with a busted-up face. (laughs) (laughs) Tour with the Melvins, no less. I know. Poor Meg. She has to, like, you know, sell merch for the Melvins (laughs) with sunglasses and Band-Aid on her face. I know. Um, So, yeah, this is part two of our awesome chat with Meg and Tony. Mm -hmm. I remember at some point in the part one, we said... Oh, yeah, this is a two-parter. We'll get right back to you. And, um, <laughs> in classic Tomorrow We Die fashion. Exactly. We did not. We did not. <laughs> I ended up actually getting work, and so this got sidelined. And, you know, now that we got the new current shutdown in Washington, I was like, oh, well, at least I'll be able to finish this episode of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so you hear that? You want more Tomorrow We Die? Get out there and breathe all over Spread each other. Spread some COVID. <laughs> Spit in each other's faces. We'll podcast till the cows cut. No. No. Um, <laughs> so I have a little celebration I wanted to share. Usually we're at this time, you know, we're doing our thing. We're doing our show. We're, yeah. We're cracking beers. We're maybe sipping a little, little whiskey, uh-huh. a little, little brown liquid. I have eggnog. Jeff. Oh, you're already at the eggnog, my friend. Tis the season. Oh yeah, I'm on. I'm I'm day one. The second that shit's in the store. Yeah, it's good shit. A special trip. That's funny. Mm-hmm. I had a conversation with Abby when we were shopping, and I was like, not until after Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh no, I want it, but I don't want to wait. Before, during, after. <laughs> And then, like, when you're at the end of the season, like, after Christmas, after New Year's. Oh, when it's on sale, yeah. Yeah, you're looking at the shelves, and you're, like, checking the expiration Mm -hmm. date on all the cartons. Like, oh, 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 scored one. This one will last for a week. I always grab the one that, at this point, it's, like, $9, and it's the one that has whiskey already mixed in it. I'm like, I'll take that, motherfucker. (laughs) Happy New Year. Dude, that's the bottle bottle that sits on your shelf until you have, like, a party where you've just gone through all the alcohol, and everyone still wants to drink, and they're all just looking at each other. What about this? <laughs> that's like gnarly old eggnog. And you're like, you're like, year old eggnog or creme de menthe? <laughs> yeah. And everyone just shrugs and goes for it. Yeah. Here, I want to I give the listeners a little little listen of what I'm... Mmm, that sounds thick and eggy. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Oh, it just coats the throat. I love me some eggnog, too. It's so delicious. And I'm going to ignore that coat the throat thing that you just said. Hey, man, it does. It does. Gives you that nice little phlegmy. For all I know, that shit's going to protect me from COVID. There you go. Gargle eggnog. Yeah. It's proof against any sort of sickness. Guarantee it. Here at Tomorrow We Die, we guarantee that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we're talking a bunch of shit. Jeff, you can be president. Thanks. I know. It's it's, (laughs) that kind of confidence. (laughs) All you got to do is, you know, and also, John, I am the best at everything that I do, so... (laughs) You know. Well, hey, got my vote. <laughs> hey, quick toast, everybody. We ousted the fascists. Yeah, motherfucker. Bye-bye. Get the fuck out of here. At least the obvious Get the fuck out of my anyway. country, you yeah. fuck. Mm. If only we could deport be... him. That would be hilarious. I hope, 
I hope he dies in jail. Fuck, hope you fucking yeah, die me too. in jail. Fuck you. Ugh. All right. Got that out of Got my that out of your system. So, good. you know, we, this is part two with Totomoshi, and we gush a lot about Tony and Meg, and, and you know, we use Totomoshi a lot, but also is another huge project of theirs, and they got a couple really awesome albums out, and uh, part of the reason why we love them is not just because they're really good musicians, it's because they're really good people, and those mm-hmm. are the kind of people that you can be lucky to meet when you're out on tour, and those are the people that you save, and you, you also save... In another book, you save the assholes, and you think, I'm never working <laughs> yeah. with that jerk again in you know yeah. Louisville, Kentucky. I'm just making up a fake person that I'm not working with. But yeah, you meet people, and you think, I might be friends with this person for life, and then you are. There's a unique camaraderie that happens when you meet people in sort of in this world Mm -hmm. and you know just doing this show and getting to the point where we're like we're actually making episodes and I'm reaching out to people I haven't talked to in years yeah years but I kind of like knew them from the tour circuit it's easy yeah they remember you they're happy to hear from you they're excited to talk to you even if it doesn't manifest in a show yeah just the reconnection yeah and speaking of I recently got in touch through the Tomorrow We Die Instagram uh-huh. with an old friend of mine named Nat, yeah. who was in a band called Transistor Transistor. Oh, yeah, okay. Akimbo did a bunch of shows with them. I don't think we ever did like a proper tour together, yeah. but we would often play with each other and we were mutual fans of each other's band. Like we got in touch recently and we we're potentially maybe going to talk to him about coming on the show because, I mean, Transistor Transistor toured like motherfuckers. Uh, I'm sure they've got some crazy stories. Yeah, I would definitely love to hear them. He's in a new band called Strange Light, mm-hmm. which as soon as I heard it, I bought their record on, on Bandcamp Friday. I marked it for Bandcamp Friday. I'm going to so. write that down, yeah. Check out Strange Light. They're very uh, hot snakes, sort of like the good jawbreaker style. I know, I just I just lost a whole bunch of uh, favorite. Yeah, everyone's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the biggest Jawbreaker fan, but oh, I, I am. they do have some good material that I, I am a fan of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Strange Light, succinct short songs that get right to the point. Ah, oh, shit. Kick your ass with a really that. good groove and then piece the fuck Word. out. It's great stuff. Uh, yeah, they have an album called Adult Themes, which is awesome. Okay, well, I think we've done enough chatter. This is a part two. We don't need to lead up. You've already heard the lead up. Let's listen to another song from Tony and Meg's first band, Totemoshi. Melvins. We were also working for the Melvins, meaning that Tony Moshi was opening and Tony was guitar teching for Buzz and 
kind of stage managing and our drummer Chris was drum teching for Dale and I was in charge of merchandise for both uh, Melvin's and for Tony Mochi, which was a big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah. So, can I ask you a question really quick? Because this is something that we've never had on the show so far, and I really am excited that we have someone who's actually done it to talk about it. What is teching? Tony, what does it mean to be a guitar tech or a drum tech? That really is up to the guitar player himself that you're teching for. Yeah. They kind of set what they expect from you. They like let you know you know, what the, what their expectations uh-huh. for. Buzz was easy to tech for because Buzz is a very independent-minded person. He's basically he's incredibly simplistic in his approach to guitar playing in the live setting. Yeah. So it's all about the delivery. It's all about, I mean, with Buzz, everything is about basically just having everything all controlling your hands. Mm-hmm. So I've checked for other people. I've checked for people that are more, are more of a fucking pain in the ass, which, <laughs> yeah. you know, they're, they're asking me why their guitar is going out of tune. And I'm like, well, there's a thing called gravity that I can't do anything about. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'll, yeah. when I hand you the guitar, the guitar will be in tune. And then eventually the guitar will be out of tune and you have a tuner in front of you and you can either tune it or, or hand it back to me. Step on the tuner and tune it between songs, you son of a bitch. Yeah, exactly. So it's really, it, those expectations are up to the person that you're working for. Uh-huh. I've never, I'm not a luthier, and I've had to explain that to people that I work for when they ask me to do things that only a luthier can do. What's a luthier? A luthier is a person who literally builds guitars. Uh-huh. Yeah, but that's different between a guitar tech who actually just kind of keeps guitars in tune and keeps them keeps them running, let's just say. Yeah, I've fixed gear on the road. I've, yeah. I've fixed guitars on the road. I've, I've done very basic like kind of uh, setups. I can do setups and stuff like yeah. that. And that's all from, from basically me being independent-minded as well and me taking care of my own instruments. Like I've learned how to do that. Because I didn't have the money to pay somebody to do it. So I've been able to get jobs doing that kind of stuff, uh, luckily. Yeah. Or unluckily. (laughs) (laughs) Depending on the band you're working for. (laughs) Cool. And then, yeah, I guess, I guess like the way to really like build a bridge for the people who have no idea about what it's like to go on tour and what, what a guitar tech or a bass tech or a drum tech might do, but have maybe been to like big arena shows. I'm sure you remember. Uh, going to see that band that you want to see, and then some asshole comes out and starts playing the guitar or the drum. Yeah, and you're like, what is that asshole doing? Before the band comes out, and you get excited. It's like, oh, they're going to start playing. Oh, no, some guy's just playing the guitar. So that's the tech. (laughs) I was that asshole. (laughs) That's the tech. And basically, their, their, their whole job on the road is to make sure that the artist has essentially what comes down to a flawless experience and they can just focus on playing and performing and doesn't have to worry about like, is my guitar in tune? Was everything plugged in correctly? My amp going to blow up tonight? All that stuff. Yeah, basically. Thanks, Tony. Totally. <laughs> I realized I asked Meg a question and then immediately gave the mic to Tony. So I apologize, Meg. Yeah, continue, no, please. I mean, like, he has gone on the road and tour managed and tech for like a bunch of bands, including Neurosis and mm-hmm. the Melvin and uh, Sleep and even more. But um, yeah, so this particular tour, it worked out to our advantage because we were employed by the Melvins. So we actually got paid as their um, their techs and their roadies, yeah. which was a better situation for us. As opposed to being paid per night. Well, not only did we get paid, but we got put up in hotel rooms mm. as their Oh, because you're a crew. So yeah, so it's no written off. Rent. Oh my God. We that's traveled awesome. with them in their trucks and in their van and got put up and got paid. So like 
that was like a win-win situation. Yeah. And but your band got to open for the Melvins every day. I knew that it was going to be a lot of work because the Melvins, <laughs> they sell a shit ton of merchandise. Yeah. And they have like their whole disog- discography for sale and they have box sets for sale. And there's collectors that will show up their merch table being like, okay, I want that box set. I'll take three of those shirts, size medium, a women's large and blah, blah, blah. And in your, in my mind, I'm like, okay, a box set is 120 plus the shirt is <laughs> yeah. 25 plus the CD is 10. You know what I mean? So it's just like, yeah. and I've got a line of people lined up at the table. So like, I'm like running off the stage after playing, kicking it into gear, like selling merch for the Melvins. You know what I mean? So my brain is like, I had to be sober. I had to be on point. A lot of pressure on. I didn't want to fuck up our money. I didn't want to mix up our money. So day like two or three, we had done San Diego. We're in, I think we had done Arizona. We're in New Mexico, third show. And it's hot as fuck. It's like end of summer. And I'm dehydrated. I'm exhausted. We get back to the hotel and I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to have, I'm going to slam a glass of wine. I'm going to take a hit of pot. And all of a sudden I'm talking to Dave Curran from the Unsane, also their sound engineer guy. Oh yeah. I love Unsane. Unsane. Everybody else had gone to bed and I start like getting dizzy and everything goes black and I'm not a stranger to passing out. Like I have a history of fainting. <laughs> I should know at this point in time to sit the fuck down and just to yeah. not hit my face. But that <laughs> night I literally like fell over and did a face plant at the beginning of, I think it was a five or six week tour. Dang it, Meg. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so Dave is like flipping out. Cause he sees me like I had just gone yeah. down on the face and he runs in the room and gets Tony and Tony is waking me up basically. And I'm just like, I'm all right. I'm all right. Cause after I faint, I feel fine. I'm like, great. You know, it's like, Oh good. I got that out of my system. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, he looks at my face and I can tell from his face, like my face. He's like, Oh my God, we have to take you to the hospital. I'm like, why? What? What? And so I go into the hotel room and I look in the mirror and it's just like blood and fucking <laughs> Oh my oh, God. No. And I looked at my teeth. I'm like, okay, I got all my teeth. Thank God. That's good. But my head's fucked up. I, yeah, let's go to the hospital. Yeah. And so we get there and they make me sit in a room for a while and sober up. I'm like, listen, I'm not wasted. I swear to God, I'm not drunk. I'm not anything. It's just like, I'm exhausted. Yeah. I'm dehydrated. But you know, they gave me all this information about alcoholism and drug abuse and this and that. I know, <laughs> but you know, it's basically, I spent the night in the hospital and thank God the next day was a day off. It was a drive day. And our next day was in Austin, which are, was like one of the biggest shows of the whole tour. And my face is fucking destroyed. And <laughs> I had to basically like play in, you know, big sunglasses, my mouth, like everything was just like swollen. I mean, I looked like that guy from mask. Oh no. <laughs> And so, you know, I basically had to play shows like that. And then sell merch. And run to the merch table afterwards under bright lights. Yeah. And Uh look like that even worse. And uh, yeah, it was an eye-opening experience 
in that you just have to power through. Mm-hmm. Like you're on tour and the worst thing happens. Yeah. And you're like, well, what are you going to do? You can't just turn around and go home. Like yeah. you signed nope. up for it. You got to just finish your job, you know? And so it was embarrassing, but also totally empowering because like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And it's so true. You know, yeah. it's like, okay, I'm going to put my ego aside. I'm not going to look good. I, you know, I'm a woman that I like to dress up on stage, put on makeup, whatever, look cute. Mm-hmm. Like there's no more cute. Like forget about that and just play as best as you can play put the ego aside and just like do your job yeah and everybody was so good jared and cody who were part of the melvins at the time they bought me like face masks and all these things to like hide my face like i got it i'm just gonna get out there and like it is what it is you know it's like whatever and i still get to prove it it is remarkable how like going on tour like the, the priority becomes so clear that the most important thing is to be on stage and play every night and like yeah it's more of a priority than self-preservation. Yeah, it is. I don't know if you've ever felt like deathly ill, but then had to do a show. And as soon as you get on stage, it's like, it kind of goes away. It's the weirdest thing. It's like, you feel good for that half hour or 40 minutes. You just focus in so hard. And then like, you go back into the green room and like, or whatever like you just get through it there's some magical thing that happens where you feel good enough to play the show yeah the the sickest i've ever been was on a tour once we did the east coast with genghis tron a long time ago and man i got fucking annihilated i had the the worst fever i've ever had in my entire life and i felt like i was maybe gonna die (laughs) and i'm not the type of person who says that lightly yeah and yeah you still you're just like well uh, I guess I'll go play this show <laughs> you know, instead, of going to, instead of going to the hospital. But and yeah, you got, got through through it. It. And then, yeah, like you said, you know, like you, you hit the stage and you just, and it's just like all that, all that pain and nausea just like goes away and just like, ah, all right, this is nice. It's all adrenaline. Okay. And now we're going to take another short break and listen to some more all souls. talked a while ago about knowing some people in new orleans who were in a band called i hate god and akimbo did it well honestly like we didn't know them i don't know how the tour happened did we share Mm -hmm. a booking agent tony do you remember that what had happened is we were we had done a tour with mastodon and mastodon was using this agency in england at the time and i basically did all all the uh the setup for the mastodon tour so i was in touch with the agency 
And while we were doing the Mastodon tour, this agent approached me named Tony Bowden, who told me that he wanted to represent us. Um, of course, we said yes, because, you know, this was a, yeah. this was a pretty big agency in England, and we're, we wanted to get more and more into the UK market. And so uh-huh. he offered us this I Hate God tour, literally just months after we had just done this Mastodon tour. And, you know, we, we discussed it, and we even asked friends, and Buzz literally just told us straight out, don't do it. <laughs> you know, don't do this yeah. fucking tour. Well, I think we got the offer while we were traveling with Mastodon. The Mastodon tour was like in January. Yeah. And the I Hate Gort tour was in March right. or something like that. And those guys were like, uh, I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. We're like, but, but we'll like get right back on tour again. We'll come right back to Europe. And they're like, don't do it. Think it through. Let's pause real quick because who is I Hate God and why would a reputable band like Mastodon be telling you, don't go on tour with I Hate God. And I have my own ideas because I have played shows with I Hate God. I don't know if it was Mastodon. I know, I know Buzz told me straight out. No, Mastodon <laughs> too. I mean, Mastodon's from Atlanta. And I mean, they all, you know, came yeah. up together playing yeah. small shows and doing regional tours. And I'm sure that those guys had played with them before. And honestly, like their reputation uh, precedes yeah. itself. You know, it's like we we soon found out as we did this tour. Yeah. Totally disrespectful to women, misogynist. Um, you know, I don't know if they're anti-gay, but they're definitely like a few of them are racist. And all of it came out like on tour. Like we were witnessing all of it. As the tour happened, this guy Tony Bowden that worked for this agency basically, you know, he's he was responsible for getting everything in order. And you know, like literally a week before the the tour was supposed to happen, I didn't have any of the contracts in hand, and I, I was reaching out to yeah. him, and he's like, "Don't worry, mate. Everything's everything's gonna happen. I'll square everything up. Like, don't worry. You have all your guarantees." You know, at this point, like when you go to Europe, you're ten grand in by the time you get overseas. Yeah, sick. So we get over, you know, and, and this isn't ten grand that we have. This is ten grand that's on a yeah. credit card that we have to yeah, pay yeah. off before we come back. So we get over there and it turns out, you know, luckily, like I said, I was doing all the setup and we had because I was tour managing other bands and because I, we had just done this Mastodon tour that we had set up some pretty good like relationships with Mesa Boogie. And Chris was able to bring a drum set over there mm-hmm. through Volcom. Okay. And so Volcom yeah. had give us, given us a drum set to use. So basically, we happened to own all the gear. So as we started the tour, every time I would go to get our guarantee to settle up after the show, the promoters were completely confounded by who we were. Like, they were like, we have no contract. Well, I don't even know who you are. I don't know what I'm supposed to pay <laughs> oh, you. Oh, man. Um, and this was literally every single That's night. So it insane. was adding... All this stress, this massive stress that this guy fucking put on us by not really living up to his side of the bargain. So, like, every night I was having to haggle with the promoters. There was no, there was no contract. Yeah. So we, we had no, yeah. nothing to, like, show them, you know, right. like, oh, yeah, we're supposed yeah. to get this amount. So it was every night. We just, like, went over there in good faith thinking, like, sure. oh, this guy represents Macedon. We're good. Like so, but he didn't. He didn't represent Mastodon. He just worked for the agency that represented the them. bastard child of this "I Hate God" tour. Like it was awful. I just love the punctuation that even their booking agent is a fucking sketchy person, right? <laughs> yeah, and this guy. I, I want to make this clear that this guy did not represent Mastodon. He worked for the agency. Okay. He was just one of the agents that happened to work for the same agency. So as the tour was going on, like I just got it in my head where like I have to talk to the venue promoter before we even bring the the, the gear yeah, every night right every night hey do you know who we are do you know we're supposed to be on this show do you know we have this guarantee and pretty much 99 percent of the venue promoters were very nice 
and were like, you know, I don't know who you were. I didn't know about you. I'm really sorry this happened to you. I would tell them the whole story. Don't worry. We're going to pay you. Everything was cool, except for like there was this guy in Ireland that refused to pay us. He was a total fucking asshole. And so I was like, okay, well, then you're going to have to rent the gear from us because I hate God isn't using our gear. You know, he was like, well, fuck you. And then it got turned into this situation. But so we were under that stress. And then on top of that, this guy, Tony Bowden, also happened to book a tour where every night was like, there were like these ridiculous nights where like we would do consecutive 12 to 14 hour drives. Oh, like, so oh the- man. Booking agent fucking tours. That's okay, so bullshit. Let's explain the van situation, which was a sprinter van, like with no beds. It was just like rows yeah. of seating and overnight drives where like nobody could even like lie down. You know what I mean? We we're all just like sleeping yeah. in a chair uh, sitting up yeah. and like, some of the members of I Hate God would be chain smoking through the night. I have asthma. It was just like a fucking nightmare. Like oh I thought it was going to kill well, me. I talked to Brian. I was like, dude, look, Meg has asthma, man. Can you guys like wait till we stop to smoke? Fuck no, it, fuck open you, a dude. window. And then at one point he was like, he's like, well, why don't you get your own van? And I'm like, why don't you get your own gear? Yeah. And he's like, what? Yeah. He, didn't, he didn't even know <laughs> really? that the gear was ours and that we had rented it. And I was like, they had no idea. The gear's ours, dude. Like, what do you, and we're paying for half of the van. And he's like, he didn't even know that. It was like a total surprise to him. Oh my God. Really? I didn't know that. <sighs> okay. So as the tour progresses, these guys are just horrible, man. Every night they'd get so fucked up that their whole goal was to get as wasted as possible. So it turned out <laughs> as the tour progressed, <laughs> me and Chris, our, our drummer, Ended up being their roadies. So yeah. now we're having to bring all the gear off stage because, because it's your gear. we need to get in the van yeah. and we need to leave by a certain point because our driver, Spatch, who was the nicest guy in the world, will wait until five in the morning if he has to and then drive 12 fucking hours after that. And it's like, this guy's got to hit the road, man, because it's unsafe. And so me and Chris mate put it upon ourselves to make sure everything was torn apart, put in that van and ready to go where we were supposed to be ready to go, like when Spatch wanted us in the van. So now we're their roadies as well. Yeah, you need some other fucking roadies, man. You know it's a band called I Hate God. Yeah, man. And, and that's a, they're <laughs> a bunch of junkies, right? right. I mean, I mean, right. Jeff, don't be an apologist. I'm not being an apologist. an apologist. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> you know, the band is called I Hate God. And no, a bunch and, and of we were warned. Yeah, okay. And we were for I mean, I love you guys, guys but you know. I bet fuck God in the face wouldn't pull that shit. <laughs> we get three weeks in, right? And and we're we're literally at our wits' end. And these guys, yeah, oh, they're fucking horrible. And Mike especially. Mike was the worst. So let me preface this though by saying that Joey, who is no longer with sweetheart. us, has mm. passed, was not a horrible person. And Gary, not a horrible person. Yeah. We've been friends with Gary forever when he was in hospital. Yeah. Predated, you know, this whole thing. But yeah, it was a bad experience. And we basically were at each other's throats. And we had a long drive day and Mike Williams. It was, it was three in a row. Straight vodka in the Woo! morning, you know, as we're getting onto the yeah. bus, he's like, yeah. straight yeah. vodka. we're like, okay, this is going to be a great drive. And just like, screaming at the top of his lungs, you know? So everybody's just like, shut up, shut up, shut up. And finally it just escalated. He probably does that every He tour. was literally screaming. I want to die. <laughs> I want to die. Like that. Really fucking like. And I have headphones in, and I'm trying to listen to a Beethoven concerto. Oh, yes, right. Really, so I'm sitting here listening he to fucking Beethoven. Really, <laughs> little fucker. He probably eating some George. good cheese, some fromage. And here's here's fucking Mike, literally directly in front of me, 
ramming into his seat, just going, I want to fucking die, man. So finally I took my headphones and I just go, dude, shut the fuck up. So he's like, he gets up out of his seat, right? Literally sticks his nose into my nose and just goes, you're a fucking pussy and just starts screaming at me. And he's spitting on my face. And I go, dude, I'm going to count to five, man. And you better get the fuck back in your seat. And I just went one, boom, (laughs) and stood him up, kicked him, launched him across the fucking van. He hits the back of the van, gets up, and runs back to me. And then once again, I hit him again, uh, stand him up, kick him. He flies back, hits the back of the van. And then the last one, he gets up, he he finds, and finally, at this point, I finally get my seatbelt off. And I get up, and I stand him up, and then I pop him in his face, and then, he falls on the ground. And then now I'm like, okay, what do I do? Like, because now the van is pulling over. And I'm like, I, my, my decision now is, yeah. is do I yeah. put this guy in the hospital and possibly myself in jail or do I chill the fuck out? And I get out and Brian grabs me and hugs me and he goes, look, man, we've all wanted to do that. You just got to <laughs> chill out. And I'm like, you've all wanted to do that. So like, and then Mike jumps out and he says something that includes the word nigger. Uh, And then I, I, I'm like, I'm going after you, dude. And then all these people like grab me and kind of separate me. I I guess Meg said, I didn't even hear this because, you know, I was in a fight, but Meg said he was, I don't know. What was he saying? Oh yeah. The N word was flying around before the blows. That's classic. So, you know, when you're in a fight, you're very like focused. So I wasn't hearing any of that. I was just like, how am I going to pick him apart? So, um, and then after that, he was just sweet as pie, oh man. My and God. I was like, wow, I should have done this to him the first day. Yeah, you should have done day one, man. <laughs> you just had to kick his ass. Yeah, just the beginning of the tour. It's like, oh, wait, 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 Mike, I'm going to punch you in the face. Boom, 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 boom. Now we can go on tour. Here's the worst part of this story is we get, we get to the show. We're playing with Kylesa oh. and Yob that night. And I know Mike. I've known Mike for a long time. You know, sweetheart. I know I've known yeah. the Yob guys for a long time. Absolutely. So love those guys. But he goes up to Kylesa and he tells them that I sucker punched them because he's got a black eye. Yeah. You know, so he can't even live with the fact that he started this fight and got pummeled. Now he's got to go tell people that, that, that I jumped him and that I instigated this fight. And that I was the one that was like this horrible person that had done these things. And I think that he told other people in Europe this as well, including, I think he told Walter this from, from a, uh, what festival is that? I can't, from Roadburn. And I think he's told other people this. And this is why I'm telling this story is because the guy has gone around bullshitting other people. And this just goes down to the race issue, man. It's when a dark guy whoops your yeah. ass, you know, and you're a racist white guy, you know, you can't just swallow it and live with it. The fact is he started yeah. this yeah. fight. You know, and he deserves to get his ass whooped. I don't go around looking for fights, man. That's just not something I do. He did this and he got what he deserved. Well, and the irony is, is that, you know, there are these videos going around now that are these anti-racism and played a part in one of these. And I tried to get in touch with the person that put it together being like, yeah, like this is not the guy. This guy is not like. A known racist. Like, why oh are you God. using him as a poster boy? Oh, uh, whatever. I don't know. I mean, maybe he's like come around, but that was disturbing for me. To it's appalling that. that they wouldn't even go looking for a person of color to represent the Black Lives Matter stuff on on for metal. You know, they they just were looking for a bunch of white guys to do that. At first, it was just like all white metal dudes. It's yeah. like you're kind of missing the point yeah. here. 
There are people of color in metal. Yeah, it's, it's a, the, the, point, the point is people of color have been disenfranchised and so have women in rock and roll for the longest time and in society in general, you know? So give us a goddamn platform yeah, as well. Exactly right. It's time for a lot of us to just shut the fuck up and listen. You bring up a good point that it's not easy for women to be out in bands and touring in our scene. I'll say uh, the scene that our bands have all been sort of like playing in, right? Like it's a very, very male. I like to think that it's a very open-minded scene, but when it comes right down to it, it's very male. It is. It's a lot of guys. And it always has been. Well, you know, it's, it's open in certain places. Like, so when, you know, we go to Seattle or Portland or, yeah. you know, LA or New York. Yeah, like totally fine. You know, people were used to seeing women on stage, but then you go to, you know, Kentucky or, yeah. you know, St. Louis or like these smaller cities and smaller towns, you know, I might have been the first female bass player that someone had seen live. Totally. And, you know, they just assume that I'm with the band yeah. doing merch or like whatever. And then I get on stage. It's like, oh, wow, she's in the band. You know, you're the girlfriend of one of the band members, right? Yeah. Like yeah. that's the assumption. There are a lot more female there musicians are. out there at this point. Yeah. But I think it's worth calling out that misogyny does exist, even in like our precious underground punk clubs, right? Like th these places that we all want to believe yeah. are, are safe places and safe spaces for, you know, come as you are, everyone is accepted. And yet at the same time, you know, women, people of color still have a really hard time at these places. It just happens. I don't know. Meg, do you have any uh, any stories or anecdotes you want to tell to shine a light on that? Or, or do we just leave that as it is? Well, I mean, the thing, I guess where I noticed it the most is when I did my first bus tour where, you know, we were in Europe and I was the only female, you know, in a whole, mm -hmm. you know, two or three buses that were traveling and showers were in the club. You know, backstage, there was a shower. It was usually like a cold <laughs> shower. Sometimes the door locked. Sometimes, sometimes it's just the home. Sometimes it was part of like a locker room that you like, I'd have to have Tony to stand outside right. the door to make sure nobody came in or what. It's like, where do you get dressed? Where do you yeah. like, whatever, you know? And especially on a bus, it's like, you can't poop. Yeah. What are you going to do with your feminine supplies? You know, it's like, it's just like it's not set up for women at all and in fact like the guys would go in and piss just like all over the toilet as the bus was moving <laughs> and i would go in and be like you guys what the fuck like yeah everybody sit needs to sit down, down like, and be have some respect for me it's gonna be more comfortable for you I'm going to be able to go to the bathroom. Doesn't it make sense? <laughs> like, let's just sit down and pee. All of us. How'd that go over? And so I made a rule for that. <laughs> and we've had dudes like jump on stage and grab your ass too. Yeah. Like weird shit like that. Yeah. I mean, that, that happened. I'm surprised that it hasn't happened more where, you know, people have been yeah. pretty much like respectful as far as me being on stage. That happened once in like a tiny club in Bakersfield, you know, like in the early days, but. I kicked him over. It was fine. Good for you. Fuck yeah. Meg, if you could deliver a message to any aspiring female musicians out there who want to go out on tour, what would you say? I mean, do it for the experience. There is nothing like it. You get to see the world, hopefully. And if you're a musician, what better thing is there to do but yeah. do something that you love and, and travel, you know? Hell yeah. yeah. It's the best. And meet cool people. That's the thing. It's yes. like you meet so Absolutely. I met you guys. <laughs> you know? It's like well, we are, and as we all know, we are the coolest you of meet the, cool. the coolest <laughs> all over the world. 
and you get to drink and have fun. Like there's nothing better. <laughs> so on a similar, unfortunately sour note, I mean, Tony, you've talked a number of times tonight about racial slurs, the N word being thrown at you. Like, man, fucking punctuate what it's like to be touring as a non-generic white straight male. <laughs> all across the weird world. The thing is, I grew up in a family that worked in the fields, and my, my cousins were organizers for Cesar Chavez, so I always had that sort of shit thrown at me, and I always knew, I mean, I, I knew the dog whistles immediately, like when I was a kid. I can pick that shit out. But, you know, there are times when there's just unconscious remarks from people that are just obviously fucking racist and stupid as fuck. Yeah. But then there are the obvious things, man. Like, one time on a Tony Moshi tour, like, we were loading into this club, the Velvet Elvis in Savannah, Georgia. Oh, yeah. Just literally, I was just rolling in a fucking 412, and I passed by these this group of people. There's four people. There's two couples sitting at a table eating hamburgers. They're eating a meal, and they literally call me sand Jesus nigger. Jesus Christ. As I roll this uh, fucking cabinet by. Like, they, they go, sand nigger. Double and, and it's, fail. Like, oh, what you don't fuck? even know who <laughs> you're making off, fun of. First off, what privilege have you had in your life where you you think that it's okay to just throw insults at any anyone that just walks by yeah anyone is complete fucking stranger i mean i've never been rude like that at least i hope not to a complete stranger in my life and it's just yeah so baffling so i just stood there i stopped stood there and just waited. And then I think that that baffles people too yeah is when you find a person that's militant enough to stand up they just say, fuck you, you know, and, and they didn't say a fucking word to me. And they just waited yeah. and waited. I just sat there, too. I'm just standing there. Listening there, complete fucking silence, sitting there chewing their fucking food. And then finally, I just go, you fucking pussies. And I, tur- I turned around and walked off. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Like, just looking at them, like, what do you mean, you fucking cock? But there's been other times, too. Like, Tony Mushy was touring with Helmet. We were opening for them. There was a house guy. A house guy. Really? We're playing the fucking show. We're on the show. We're on the venue. We're literally on the marquee in the front of this fucking place. Yeah. And this guy just starts fucking with me, you know, because I didn't look like the people that he's used to seeing. And, you know, he's sitting there with his heavy draw. So he thought he could throw some shit down to you? like Yeah, I can't remember what he was saying. It was really dumb shit. But, like, and I remember this was great because the, all of that helmet crew started with a guitar tech who I was really good friends with, this guy Evan, who's a fucking sweetheart. He also was a guitar tech for Billy Gibbons, by the way. Um, and, and, and Evan and I have become friends because I just have this absolute fascination with Billy Gibbons. Yeah, sure. Who doesn't as a guitar player? And so he was giving me all the inside. Tony, you know, who's and, Billy Gibbons? <laughs> <laughs> right. And um, so Evan comes over and he's like sitting there listening to this guy fucking with me and then just starts mimicking his drawl and just like, what are you trying to say? You know, and I'm not trying to make fun of people from the South. I mean, yeah. I find a, a drawl to be a cute little thing. I like it too. Sure, <laughs> you know, we all do. Yeah, sure. You know, but uh, I mean, dude, like, Get off your fucking high horse, man. Like, you're not... First off, <laughs> my family's been in North America for ten to 30,000 fucking yeah. years. Nobody yeah, knows because yeah. our history's been erased, you know? Yeah. yeah. I'm literally of indigenous descent. Yeah. So they're, they're sitting there 
you know, pretending like they're the real fucking Americans, just like this scumbag in the fucking White House. No, no, no. You, know, you get out of America. Fucking <laughs> yeah. Asshole. I'm supposed to leave. <laughs> Go back to where you came Go back from. to where I came from. I'm from North America, <laughs> Apple. This is what a real American yeah. looks like, right in front of you. From where I came from, which is <laughs> California. Yeah. What? yeah. <laughs> the funniest thing is there was a guy in Scotland. This is when we were touring with Mastodon in, in Europe. Which is the I think by far probably one of the funnest tours I've ever done in my life. And uh, the, this guy in Scotland, I'm sitting at the merch table, and he comes up with this Scottish accent. He goes, he goes Peruvian, right? And I go, I go, no, no, I'm, I'm American. And he goes, no, but you're you're from Peru. And I go, no, I'm from America. And he goes, he goes, no, but your family's from Peru. And I go, well, my family's descended from Mexico. And he goes, same difference. And I go. They're not uh, even in the same fucking continent, you no. fucking idiot. And he's like, and then when I called him a fucking idiot, he started laughing and he slapped me on the back. He's like, I like you. Scottish. Yeah, Scottish. You're good. I like you because you just told me that I'm an asshole. <laughs> There's some silly shit that you got to put up with, man. I mean, it's funny because I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine who's in a prominent band. I'm not going to say who it was. He said, you know, people have wanted to kill me, kill me for making fucking music, you know? And I go, people have wanted to kill me for just simply being me, dude. Yeah. Like for having the yeah. fucking skin that I have. It's like walking down you know? the street. So it's, like, it's a different situation, man, where you could go around and just cut your fucking crazy hair and just be like anybody else, you know? But I can't. I can't do that unless I guess I put on some fucking crazy fucking makeup and like. You know, Tony, you could be a juggalo and no one would ever know. <laughs> be fine. <laughs> I'm just saying we're we're really really accepting. You know the 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 funny thing about like about the juggalos is that the that whole movement is like surprisingly punk. It's so it's, accepting, like, surprisingly yeah, so like progressive and punk. It's Do you know cool. that over the last two or three years, they're like weird. They used to have a stripper show, and it's been completely subverted and taken over by women, and they curate the show now. That's, it's I no longer it, man. like Ron Jeremy going like woo. You know, it's none of that. It's like curated by yeah. female juggalos, and they do what the fuck they want to do. And if you don't yeah. like it, well, <laughs> that's up to you. But I mean, honestly, like I love that fucking yeah. fact. I was listening to the Cody interview from Cody from the Melvins, yes. and, and he mentioned the earthquake in Japan and Christchurch, New Zealand. Yes, and he failed to mention that I was there. <laughs> I was there with. I was hoping that you would talk about that. You were there. Yeah, we, we need a little bit of fact-checking for sure. Yes. <laughs> we, need a little, we need a little live fact-check here. I was checking for the Melvins when... Yeah. I mean, like, like some of the things he said were, were totally... I mean, I mean, we all have our own, like, the way our brain processes our history and stuff. Yeah. Well, everybody has their own perspective, too. Yeah, their memory and stuff. I know memories, like... But Timos was not there. Timos was not on that tour at all. Dave Curran was the tour manager. It's very much like he said, where it was mania. The first earthquake was in Christchurch, and we had just left the hotel, and we got to the airport, and I was holding Buzz's guitars, and the lady called for the fragile items, and right as she called for the fragile items, it sounded like an explosion. It just went boom, and all of a sudden, the building just started shaking maniacally. 
And he's right. The lady behind the counter just started screaming. Like, <laughs> I, turned out and I turned around and it was literal pandemonium and people running in every direction. And I remember just seeing Buzz's hair just like shaking. <laughs> he was running. And I started laughing and I, I screamed out, feet don't fail me now. <laughs> just because I thought it was so fucking funny. And I guess because also oh I grew up in God. California and I was used to earthquakes. Because like in my hometown, it, it, there was a summer where there was like, I think it was like 30 earthquakes in a summer. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was just kind of more used to it probably than, than a lot of the other members of the Melvins. But anyway, so like people were just running everywhere. And I looked over in the corner and there's Jared standing there too. And just kind of looking around at everybody <laughs> running. And he was right. We got stranded. We, we ended up in the, the last two cars, the two rental cars, went all the way to the other side of New Zealand, took a ferry, and then proceeded with our tour and in Tokyo, that one was very different. And my, my thing was always when I got to the venue when I was working for a band was I, I wanted to go out because I started work way earlier than everybody else because I would have to set stage up. Yeah. So I would always get off the bus or whatever we were taking, whatever form of transportation we were taking and walk. And I tried to get out of that venue. It opened up, the elevator opened up into the, um, into the stage, onto the stage. And I went to every single door trying to get out of that place so that I could take a walk. And every door was literally chained, chained up. Chained. So we couldn't get out. Wow. Completely chained. We couldn't get out. Um, and then, uh, so when that earthquake started, which was immediately after they sound checked, Buzz had leaned his guitar over on the 412. Uh-huh. And, and um, all of a sudden, that one was really slow. It wasn't an explosion. And it just slowly started. And then all of a sudden, it just started going faster and yeah. faster and faster and faster. And I walked off the stage and I went over to a doorway and I propped it open, and it was all the guys in the Melvins minus Jared were running to one side of the stage to the other. And as they were running, I was like, that door's locked, that door's chained. And then they'd run the other way, that door's chained. <laughs> and then they ran this way, like, that door's chained. And then they ran past me, I was holding the door open, they ran past me. And then <laughs> it's like a fucking disaster movie, man. It's like the Towering Inferno or something. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's a straight-up Irwin Allen movie. Funniest fucking thing is I look over, and this time Jared's standing there with his phone and videoing it all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the last one. Oh, my God. Um, it was pretty horrible. It was it was bad, man. I, I, I don't recommend going through a, a major earthquake like that. Yeah, twice in one floor. Yeah, no, I mean, like, seriously, like, it's just nice to hear it. Not nice. It's <laughs> intense to hear from someone who was actually there who was like, no, it was fucking bad. It was bad. You know what I mean? It was like, bad. Yeah, Dale. And then he, uh, Cody mentioned Dale hurt his finger, um, which it was like an L. It was like this. And I had hurt myself like that one time playing basketball. And I remember somebody telling me that I was kind of callous for saying this. But I, I don't. I, it, to me, it wasn't being callous. It was just when it happened to me, I was like, oh, my God, I got to go to the hospital. But then I, as I was walking, I was doing it like playing basketball. I was walking off the court. And I was like, oh, I don't have medical insurance. So – I grabbed the finger and just bam, popped it back in. And I, so I told Dale, I'm like, dude, just grab it and like pop it back in really fast. And, uh, uh, yeah, somebody goes, somebody said to me like, Oh, that's really callous to say something like that. I was like, well, no, I mean it. I meant it. I didn't mean it like in a way I meant it in like an instant relief by just popping it back in. But yeah, so then they went to a doctor and they were there and they were watching the TV in the waiting room. And that's when they seen the tsunami happen live on TV. Ugh. 
Oh my god. Uh, Dave was really yeah out by it. Yeah, dude, that I I still remember that footage, man. It gives me chills thinking about it. You can't see that happening and not immediately project yourself in those cars and those houses, yeah. right? And just yeah. think about what it would be yeah. like to be there. Yeah, super. And, and after the Christchurch and the Tokyo one, it, it was after, and you start to see the 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 damage on television, and you're you're watching the you know the footage. And that's when it really sets in that this is like a major thing. You know, it was a very mm-hmm. scary situation. Yeah. So. Ah, uh, but you're still alive. You made still it. alive. You did it. <laughs> and now you're a rich, famous musician. Wee! Not a care in the world. We have all these great stories to tell. <laughs> I think this is a perfect time to stop and take a quick listen to some Alma Sangre, which is Tony and Meg's acoustic group. Um, most of the lyrics are in Spanish and there is a really good message inside all of the content. And I think you should go to Bandcamp and check it out right now. Tal vez, con la fuerza de mi alma, podría resistir tu encanto, tu ingenio. Tal vez con mis ojos cerrados podría convencerme de que tú fuiste y solo era ilusión. Bruja y seductora no me coman, por favor cierra tus ojos. Serpente enroscada me tienes enrollado la cadena alrededor de tu Well, we've had you guys trapped in here with us, talking a lot about um, the old days with Todi Moshi, and we would be remiss to not talk about your guys' current band, All Souls, which is fucking excellent. It's really good. And um, uh, having been a fan of both of you and Tony Moshi, and then also the other members of your band, having been a fan of all their past bands, once I found out that All Souls existed and I saw sort of the pedigree of everyone who's involved in that band, you sort of read it and you're like, oh, this band is going to kick ass. Yeah. And then you listen to it and you're like, yep. And you do. They kick ass. (laughs) (laughs) So talk to us about All Souls. I know it's pretty new in terms of like all the stories we've been telling, but... um. Yeah, new-ish, but, you but guys, yeah, you did tour with Jesus tool, Lizard. You guys came out of the gate fucking kicking and screaming. Like, bam, bam. How's it yeah. been? You got friends in high places. <laughs> yeah, we got, we got pretty lucky. I mean, you know, I, a lot of it is because, you know, we're friendly with certain people and we get invited, which, thank God, because otherwise we wouldn't be doing anything. It's like, we don't really have a, a huge audience or whatever, but we've been lucky enough to get these opportunities and play in front of a good amount of people. So, um, yeah, the, you know, we did some good tours. The Jesus lizard was obviously like incredible because we're huge fans of that band. And it's like going to school every night, you know, it's like Dwayne Dennison and David Yao and the rest of those guys. It's like fucking owning it every night. 
every member of that band is a masterclass. A masterclass. Yep. You're right. And so, you know, it's like it makes you step up and like play as best as you possibly can play. Yeah. And even that just doesn't even touch it. You know what I mean? It's like, forget about it. But it's a challenge. And I'm just honored to share the stage, you know, and to be included. And that's fucking awesome. I feel like there's a lesson in some of, some of the way that, that we've gotten our opportunities in that, yeah. like, say, the Melvins offered us uh, a few dates on a tour, right? So they offered us, like, three or four dates going all the way to the middle of the country, which would have been a fucking complete total ass uh-huh. for us. We would have lost so much money. But we were like, yeah, let's do this because we have to do this because sitting around yeah. and waiting for opportunity to happen isn't going to happen. We have to create it. So we ended up saying yes to this entire tour where we would have been these tiny little dots here and there, here and there doing these basically sea markets that Buzz was offering yeah. us because John Spencer's had a new band and he was basically going to do the, the most of the tour. And then as it went and as we, we said, yes, we were going to do this, um, it turns out one of the members of John Spencer's band got sick uh. and couldn't do the tour. We ended up getting the whole tour because of it. So because of that, had we not put ourselves in that position, then we had not oh, done yeah. that entire tour, you know? And then we played in Cleveland. When we were playing in Cleveland with the Melvins, Danny Carey was there and Adam was there from Tool and happened to see the show. And that night, like, this was the first time Adam ever pulled me aside and grabbed my hand and, and you know, because I'd known Adam from when I was teching for the Melvins, but he had never, like, really talked to me like that, like, as a musician, you know? He talked yeah. to me as a musician that night. And he's just like, I absolutely loved what you guys did on stage. Yeah, and, sure. You know, and then we ended up getting the tool tour because of that stuff. I think, you know, because they seen us yeah. and they were floored by it. So, I think if you don't if you don't go out and tour, if you don't go out and put those opportunities in front of you, then what are you doing? Yeah, people don't see you. It's like you don't exist. Yeah. You know, it's almost like you have to be willing. Yeah, you know, you have to be yeah. willing to do this ridiculous thing that we do. And and you know, we've never made a lot of money. You know, we're still we're still in that situation where every band is in where we're still in a van and we still sleep in fucking weird situations sometimes but yeah it's like those small goals right that you can sort of see the deadline and you work towards it and you get there and then there's the next small goal in front of you and you just like keep working towards those which are like ironically in terms of like like human nature very very satisfying intrinsically satisfying to work towards those small goals that you believe are achievable. You do that enough, then hopefully you get to, you know, go on tour with Jesus Lizard. Open for the Melvins. (laughs) And the greatest thing about touring with bands like that is that you're going to steal something from them. (laughs) You know, it's like Picasso that a good artist borrows, a great artist steals. And if you're going on tour with bands of that caliber, you know, there's an, there's an open door there. You absorb. Yeah. You're hopefully if you're paying attention. Agreed. If you're not just like in the back getting yeah. wasted, yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I'm like trying to, I mean, I am, you know, every now and then, but you know, it, mm-hmm. that's a lie. I'm not wasted on tour ever anymore. It's, I can't stand being hungover, but you know, it's like you want to absorb the best of what they're showing you. It's like you're, you have that opportunity. It's like, why waste it? Why not be present? Yeah. You know, so like, I don't take it for granted at all. Totally. So back to that tour, there were some exciting moments. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think to me, the most exciting thing was we were supposed to play Ypsilanti with uh, this band called Jumbo's Kill Crane. I love that band. I recorded their record. Oh, really? That's so rad. Yeah. And Meg Meg was somehow in communication with Dale from the Melvins Mm -hmm. because Meg was Dale 
Dale was like a client of yours, right? Because Megs and Masseuse as well. Well, I, I mean, I met the Melvins through Billy Anderson, who was recording them. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And um, I did start massaging Dale, but we were we were becoming friends. And we knew we were going to cross paths on this tour. Like, they were going to be in Detroit. Yeah. We were going to be in Ypsilanti. I was like, hey, maybe we could, like, meet up while we're all in the same state or whatever. But he ended up calling... Uh, maybe we had cell phones, like those little cell phones at this point, I think. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Nokia's. <laughs> I think I got a call from Dale saying, hey, do you want to open up the show tonight at St. Andrews Hall? And I remember we were like out on a boat. We were rowing in a lake on a boat. <laughs> and staying <laughs> at like Johan's uncle's house or something like okay, that. Okay, yeah, sure. In Harbor. And we're like, freaking out like oh my god oh my god we're gonna open up for the melvins like we couldn't fucking believe it and so uh yeah on the way we were like trying to get there and the van is heating over and it was like this mad fucking yeah (laughs) (laughs) we got there and then we were so like just frantic that we didn't have sound checks like we didn't ever play a show where we were allowed to like sound check our band yeah so this was like a different scenario (laughs) like there was a monitor person and a sound person it wasn't like a janky club where we were just like set up in the corner so we like got our shit on stage and buzz was there and he was just like okay you know welcome you guys i'm really glad that you're here and then we just started fucking playing. Like, we didn't know. <laughs> and the sound wasn't up, and it wasn't ready, and there was no vocal. Oh, no. And then finally, like, everybody, like, runs into place, like, oh, my God, they're not just sound checking. <laughs> they think that they're on. And it was like. Were there people in the room? There were people in the room, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But they were like, so anyway, we played the first song with, like, no vocal. They dialed it in. Yeah, there were people That's in the bro. house. <laughs> That's so funny. The house guy hadn't even. He wasn't even, he wasn't at his station. Like we yeah. weren't even supposed to start yet. And, and yeah, like halfway through our set, oh, all of a sudden everything turned on. And we're like, I mean, I, yeah, I know this sounds amazing. Me, I'd be like, holy ah, shit. Like rush up to the and, stage. Like, okay, calm it down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I don't even think we're like introduced to ourselves to yeah. anybody. Like we, we were so because of the yeah. band situation like oh my god we're supposed to be on like just go 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 you know one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me as a tech or as a person working for a band was when i was tour managing neurosis and they were playing a festival in france and public enemy was on the same you know they were the headliners that night and so everyone was super excited man we got there really early probably like six or seven in the morning and you know like obviously like the bus rolls in and you're just kind of waking up yeah and we got into the uh, the backstage was a single like a big tent yeah. and it was just had a, a few rooms in it that just separated the different bands but it was basically just tents and we get in there and Flav is walking around man yeah <laughs> fucking flavor Flav is just like there he is you know and I'm, I'm like oh my god there's flavor Flav and somebody yeah. had t- somebody went right up to him and just took a picture I think it was Josh I can't remember it was one of the guys and either the crew or the band and so I'm like I'm gonna do it I'm gonna and it, I, I normally I'm really shy about mm-hmm. doing this kind of thing but I walked right up to Flav, man. I'm like, hey, man, can I get a picture with you? And he's the nicest guy. He put his arm around me. He's just like, yeah, man, let's do this. Let's do this. Whole, I'm like, got my arm around Flavor Flav, you know, take the picture. And Flav is like the nicest guy in the world. And then Dominic, the guitar tech, I show him the picture. And he's like, oh, my God, where did you take that? And I was like, he's right out there, dude. And so Dominic is running out, finds Flav. 
and Flav, like, you know, they take the picture, and as Dominic is taking the picture, Flav just falls backwards. Nah. He's so weird. Just a fucking falls back. All these guys pick him up, take Flav away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and then Chuck, Chuck D was hanging out. Nicest guy, you know, super cool. And, dude, they went on that night, and they just fucking killed they it. They were amazing. Dude, Flav was on the drums doing drum stuff. Uh-uh. Flav took the bass, was playing the bass for a while. Like, he's amazing, dude. And, like, you know, Chuck and, like, I mean, the band, that's one of the greatest bands I've ever seen live, too. Well, Tony, Meg, thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight. You guys. Thanks so much for being on our podcast. Thank you for having us. I love your podcast, yeah. by the way. I to uh, you know, we, we love yeah. you guys. This was, uh, guys. this was a somewhat formal interview, but for the most part, just a, a wonderful fucking hangout during these awful, awful COVID times. Yeah. 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 It definitely, it was so good. It was so good to connect and I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Okay. Well, that was super fun and super intense uh, retelling of an intense story that we've already heard. And we even got another Flava Flav story, John. How crazy is that? It's just amazing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you again, Tony and Meg, for helping us out and being on our show and entertaining us. And uh, I noticed a couple of times where we gushed to each other. You know, we can see each other when we're filming, but uh, you can't see that we can see each other. And so, you know, there's there's heart emojis popping up in our <laughs> eyes as we talk to each other because they're such awesome people and we're such old friends. But I do I do want to talk about something really fast. I'm actually a huge I Hate God fan. You are. I have been since day <laughs> two on their second album. I got into them on their second album. And I was an immediate fan, and I always have been. I've seen them a bunch of times. I saw them in uh, New Orleans on their home turf for my 40th birthday, and it was super intense and super rad. And as much as I love their music, I also know their reputation, and I'm not an apologist. I know that there are some shitheads that are in that band, and I also know that there are human beings who have gone through some serious uh, drug addiction problems, as you can possibly imagine, from a band called I Hate God with an album (laughs) called Take As Needed for Pain. (laughs) And that's what I was trying to say. For sure. I'm not trying to denigrate anyone. This is real stories about real people, and uh, when people act like assholes, they need to get called out. That being said, I'm still a huge fan, at least of their music. Yeah, I mean, I have nothing but respect for their legacy. Akimbo just ended up on a on a bill with them once, and yeah, I mean, they lived up to their reputation, and it they was did. it was an sure awful experience did. for all the bands except I Hate God at that show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I do not want to besmirch you know the very real problems of drug addiction and and how that causes humans to behave and mm-hmm. nothing but love from me <laughs> nothing but love i don't want to play shows with those guys again but i hope they I hope they get healthy <laughs> yeah and i will go see them if they play again although it's probably never going to happen now uh you're making me jealous That's of that so nog good. son so good you know mm-hmm. i make my own too really i have a recipe mm-hmm. that will no, it won't knock your socks off it'll gently take your socks off mm. cradle you as you fall asleep does it have booze in it oh jeff come on Come on. I know. Is it brandy? Is it whiskey? What's the booze? It is a mixture of dark rum, mm-hmm. bourbon, and cognac. Holy shit. Yeah, that's a Dude, rich Jeff, mixture. It's a good eggnog. 
<laughs> All right. Well, as soon as we can hang out as families, we're making some of that damn eggnog. Yeah. Okay. So, John, who do we have up next in the pipeline? I believe the next episode will be Kelly Francis Corrado. Mm, yes, another old friend of mine. Yeah. I know you kind of just met Kelly, you know, digitally, it was, <laughs> as the case may be. Our interview was my first time meeting her, and it was wonderful. Yeah, it was super fun. She blew my mind in some interesting ways. I still think about our conversation with her. I loved every second of it, and I knew that that was going to happen, yeah. and that's why I didn't prep you at all for the interview, because I just mm-hmm. wanted you to be like the outside eyes peeking in, you know, and have... Yeah. And ask all the right questions. And it's really fun. And, you know, we work a lot together. Uh, full disclosure, uh, we're co-producers of almost everything that she has ever done under her full name, Kelly Francis Corrado. But it's just a really fun look into a different style of music and a different type of touring. And I think uh, everyone's really going to enjoy it as much as I enjoy working with her on her music, which is very strange and mystical and interesting. Yeah, she has an approach to touring that has never even crossed crossed my mind like I couldn't think of it yeah and it's just who she is and it's so cool and I can't wait to get this next interview out (laughs) (laughs) me neither everybody thank you so much for listening Tomorrow We Die is sponsored by Isotope, makers of software for audio repair, mixing, and mastering. We've been using Isotope and their products to clean up audio on every episode and in general make my, Jeffrey, the engineer's life a whole lot easier. Yeah, the podcast is fun, you know, we're cracking beers, spinning yarns, and flopping around memory lane, just <laughs> yucking it up. But there's this whole other side of doing the show that is all caps, real work. Oh yeah. And it takes a ton of time. And yeah, Jeff, Isotope. Definitely makes my life easier. I've been using the RX plugin the last couple episodes, especially. You know that we are on internet audio right now because of COVID and everything else. So I gotta say, these plugins have been a huge help and they've allowed us to keep having fun while socially distancing as we should. <laughs> Go to isotope.com slash ruinous and use checkout code RUIN10 for a 10% discount on all their software. That's I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com slash ruinous and that's checkout code R-U-I-N-1-0. 10%. We live in a city of craze. Tear it down and build it up again. Tomorrow We Die is sponsored by Georgetown Georgetown Music, a musician-owned shop independently operated by folks deeply rooted in the Pacific Northwest live music scene. Your community-oriented source for new, used, and vintage instruments, as well as all the supplies that go with them. They're now at their new home in Burien, Washington. Visit them at 232 Southwest 153rd Street, Burien, Washington. Check out new deals at georgetownmusicstore.com. That's all one word, of course. And follow them on Facebook and Instagram to get all the latest arrivals or just call them at 206-602-4324. This show is about touring musicians telling incredible stories from their lives as they remember them. Humans are generally pretty great, but we all know that memory fades over time and that in the moment, people interpret situations differently based on their personality, background, state of mind, drugs they were on, intoxication level, etc., etc. The important thing to get across here is that at no point should these stories be considered hard facts or perfectly accurate portrayals of real events. If by some chance you were there for something that was talked about on this show or know someone who was and heard a different side of the story. If you feel we've been inaccurate or misrepresentative in any way, please don't hesitate to reach out, help us set the record straight. 
tomorrowwedipodcast at gmail.com. We'll read everything. And to any road warriors out there who might be listening, we want to hear your stories too. If you have a crazy moment from the road you want to share with us, then please drop us a line on email. Write it up as succinctly as possible, please. We don't want to read your autobiography. And if we have the time, we'll read it on a future episode. Feel free to plug yourself in the band as well. Again, the email address is tomorrowwedipodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. And once again, I'm Jeffrey McNulty. And I'm John Wisniewski. And this is Tomorrow We Die. Find us on the internet. Our website is www.tomorrowwedie.com. And remember, that's two W's, T-O-M-O-R-R-O-W-W-E. D-I-E.com. On Twitter, we're at Tomorrow We Die PC. Instagram, at Tomorrow We Die Podcast. Facebook page is at Tomorrow We Die Podcast. Our email address is Tomorrow We Die Podcast at gmail.com. And the show is published on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, and SoundCloud. Podcasts produced by Jeffrey M. McNulty at the Pachinko Parlor in Seattle, Washington. Additional editing by Joe Plummer and Chris Deary. Background music is by Noel Frequency Impulsor. Tomorrow We Die is produced in partnership with Ruinous Media. Check out the rest of the Ruinous Media family at ruinousmedia.com and on all the major social media platforms. Thanks so much for listening.